0: Welcome to another great episode of Mission Compliance, Unleashing Growth Potential for Defense Contractors. And today, we have an episode where we explore new frontiers, or as Gene Roddenberry might say, the final frontier. We've talked about robots. We've gone to the future. Now we go to the moon. Our topic for today's episode is Satellites in Space, the New Frontier for Defense Innovations. In a world where technology evolves at an unprecedented pace, the space sector is no exception. Entrepreneurs are boldly venturing into this cosmic realm, exploring opportunities and and tackling challenges that were once the stuff of science fiction. We'll delve into the thrilling space technology sector and its promise for defense innovations. What does it take to make it in this industry and and how are startups and established companies contributing to the future of space exploration? But that's not all. The the Department of Defense, too, has set its sights on the stars. We'll we'll unravel the role of DOD in propelling innovation and and fostering collaboration within the space tech ecosystem. Join us as we navigate the cosmos of ideas, innovations, and inspirations in the realm of satellites and space. So fasten your seatbelts, secure your helmet, and get ready for a journey that's out of this world. Blast off! That was a pretty good intro. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready
1: for the next Frontier, baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're joined once again by Mike Frieder, president of On Call Compliance Solutions and a CMMC professional assessor. Thanks for joining us, Mike. I'm really excited. Hey, always a pleasure, Roman. Me too. So Mike, as I said, we're we're talking about Gene Roddenberry's favorite subject, space. Specifically, how new ventures and technology in space shape the future of defense. So with that said, how has space techno- how has the space technology sector evolved in recent years and what opportunities does it offer defense contractors?
1: Man, I love <laughs> love this question, love this topic. Um, you know, it, it comes at a at a great time because I'm I'm just actually reading The Elon Musk, uh, you know, biography from from Isaac, uh, whatever that guy's name is, Isaac Jacobson, Watson, I don't know, whatever. Uh, Anyway, uh, I love I love the topic. And, you know, I I have to share with our audience. I think one of the coolest things that we get to do um, is we we walk into defense companies of all kinds. And you know, we really get to see some cool stuff. And again, I'm I'm under NDAs and confidentiality statements and blah, blah, blah. So I can't talk really specifically, but what I will say is this. Um, space is alive and well in this country. And the best part, and this is really where it gets exciting, is it's alive and well in the private sector. Um, you know, if you haven't picked up that that new Elon Musk book, I think you just It's a great read, but, but I'll tell you what's really cool is if by chance you are in the defense industry and you do anything applying to space, oh my goodness, are you in the right place? Um, space exploration, launching of satellites, massive, massive business. Um, again, just using, you know, examples like blue origin and, and SpaceX, uh, and we work for many of their subcontractors. Um, you just would not believe the financial impact that space exploration has uh, in terms of uh, the defense industry and in terms of the economy. Um, we are sending more satellites into space than you could imagine. We're, you know, launching people to the moon, to the space station, and it's all being done by private sector. So where it was previously done by NASA and the public sector before, um, very ineffective on cost, very, um hard to meet deadlines. I mean, they just, they failed at every deadline. Um, you know, frankly, Elon Musk has single-handedly changed, um, changed the space industry worldwide. Like that one dude and his vision, uh, is crazy. And, um, you know, it's a great example <clears throat> of a calculated risk. Um, and, and, and I'm going to talk macro for a second about the defense industry because the defense industry is very interesting to me. If you create something and it winds up in a defense product, number one, they're gonna need to keep on using you and reordering and they will find a way to spend money with you to keep you alive as a company. Number two is is that um, you can't underestimate the scale of the United States defense industrial base. There are so many companies churning so much revenue in defense And you just wouldn't even think of them. Fastener companies, you know, like people that make screws and nuts and bolts even. Uh, I probably have 15, 20 different companies that we work with, and all they do is make nuts and bolts. Um, You know, it's unbelievable the depth that you can take a company to if you can become a part of the defense uh, industry here in America. So – you know, with that in mind, space is just like that, right? So space uh, carries with it. Um, generally speaking, a lot of NASA contracts have the NIST sp 80171 compliance standard as mandatory. Um, they may not have all of the DFARS clauses. That part is a little bit variable. It depends on what you're working on for space. Uh, but you absolutely have the NIST sp 800 compliance standard. It's something our company works a tremendous amount with. And we understand the differences between space programs and defense programs. Uh, And I think that also makes us very unique. So, you know, I think there's, there's that element of things. And um, I, all I can say is if you can get in, man, you got to get in, like whatever way you can get in um, being a part of this is so amazing. And, you know, the neat thing is is that SpaceX is opening doors for hundreds of thousands of subcontractors, but they're also opening the doors to the idea of space commercialization, you know, before, and it's such a cool time to be alive. Before it was like, can we do it now? It's like, Hey, this is a part of every day and we're commercializing it. And I do actually really believe in, in, in Musk's vision of colonizing Mars and all that other stuff. I don't know if Mars is the one, but you know, the answer is, you know, becoming a multi-planetary species and being able to, to travel through space. Um, I, I think that 20 years ago, that was probably like a joke, right? Like that was like, no way can that really happen. and today. You know, they're landing reusable rockets back on their feet. I mean, it's insane. And it's being done by a private company that is actually profitable. Wow, you know, so gosh, man, it's, you know it's it's really an exciting, exciting topic. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's the space industry is alive and well, and the best part is it's in private hands, not the government's hands uh, for the most part.
0: I mean, you 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 mentioned it before with the with the commercialization and stuff. Before the founding of of things like the Space Force and that commercial space travel that you that you mentioned, we may we we may have considered the idea of of space defense to be a job for Captain Kirk or Luke Skywalker or even the Avengers. But that seems to be changing. Satellites, for one thing, have always been a a point of order. So, what unique challenges do entrepreneurs face? When, when when venturing into the space technology sector, particularly in the context of defense innovation,
1: you said what unique challenges they face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I think that there's a couple of things. Number one is, um, and, and by the way, I just I can't believe I went through that whole first question. I didn't even mention the fact that there's this thing called space force. So like you have the army, you have the navy, you have the air force. Um, I guess you know a lot of people. It's not really widely publicized. We have a we have another another branch of the military called Space Force. And, and if Space you don't Force know about it, it, it's a really fun Google, uh, you know, yeah, to yeah. check that out. It's massive, absolutely massive. But of course, everything they do is, is pretty top secret stuff. So let me mention that. Um, again, so there's tons and tons and tons and tons of contracts, defense work that has to do with them. Uh, what are the challenges that they're facing? Uh, I think that there's two things. And, and this is just in my experience, I seem to see this really interesting pattern. Uh, company makes X,YZ you know product or or service for the private sector. Uh, and then they somehow wind up entangled in in a space project. And what they realize on the space project is it's not the product that's necessarily different. It's the quality testing and the standards of tolerance that are different for space. So, you know, let's take like a boat, for instance, Maybe you've got you know a boat that needs a nut that can withstand 1,000 pound-feet of torque. The same bolt used in a space application may need to withstand 100,000 pound-feet of torque in order to be acceptable in a space program. So that brings about a very interesting set of challenges, which is that um, you know, when you're going to look at the idea of space, you wind up looking at a much greater expense because the equipment to test those tolerances and some of those non-public specifications that are required for quality uh, really, really increase. So a lot of the public doesn't understand why is everything for space so darn expensive? It's kind of like, why why is airplane stuff so expensive? Well, the reality is, is that it's because it requires much more precise equipment to do the safety checks. It requires a much more highly trained set of people and sometimes multiple layers of people to do those quality assurance checks and sign-offs, whereas if it was a car, it's like, hey, you got a mechanic and the mechanic who did the work says it's okay. That's not okay when any failure will lead to death, and that's you know what you're dealing with with space. It's what you're dealing with, with you know in in the aircraft industry, um, and so you know what is tolerable for you know a car that can't fall out of the sky, is no longer tolerable for an object that can fall out of the sky like an airplane, let alone something that can fall out of space. Uh, where any failure will result 100% in death or loss of cargo or things like that. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's one thing that I would advise anyone to really be aware of. And with, with that quality increase comes an understanding that you're going to have to have an increase in, you know, things like compliance, you know, uh, we're not, we're not, you know, if you're an auto manufacturer, Uh, You can't fall out of the car from 10,000 feet above the earth, right? Like, it's not going to happen. There just doesn't involve the level of risk. But because in the defense industry, you've got situations where, you know, everything really is life and death, whether it be during warfare, whether it be during supportive troop missions, whether it be a space flight, everything really will come down to what is the risk to human life? What is the risk if we fail in the mission? Uh, And and as such, you just have to understand that playing it loosey-goosey and not having quality controls and not having your information secured simply will not fly. And in fact, you should not be awarded those contracts or performing that work unless you're willing to understand that. If you're the type of company who is looking for ways around following the rules, you shouldn't be in defense. Defense is full of rules. Space? is full of like 10 times the number of rules that defense is. So um, I think that's something else to be prepared for. Now, I'm a CEO, right, of a for-profit company. And I will tell you that I think that space is an incredibly intriguing area to be in. The dollars, because of the increased scrutiny and quality control and all that stuff, the dollars just simply get inflated. They're just bigger dollars, Um, much, much, much bigger dollars. And so with bigger dollars comes the ability to have bigger profits. And so it's unbelievably intriguing right now that there's so much money being poured into private space flight because it still carries with it incredible profit margins. Um, So again, man, if, if your company does something in this region, you know, one, we have the expertise to help you in terms of your, your, your compliance with information security, cybersecurity, all that stuff. Uh, But boy, I tell you what, it's it's very, very intriguing to me uh to go out there and, and perform services for the space industry. And I just and you know one one last thought. A lot of these projects are long-term projects. So when you're looking for this the stability of a company, right? When you're building value in a company, um, you know, if you're doing something and it's non-regulated, maybe they're just buying a part from you, okay? And parts 50, 50 bucks for the part. That same part in defense might be a 500 dollars part because it takes 10 times as long to do all the quality assurance checks the quality has to be 10 times as good there's twice as many people involved and then when you go to get that same part in space there's a hundred times the number of quality assurance checks and personnel involved and that's a five thousand dollar part all right generally speaking profit is applied in percentages and the percentages are probably roughly the same. You might have slightly lower percentages in space, but not by a whole lot. So when you're selling that $5,000 part at a 12% margin, I don't know, which would you rather sell? The $50 consumer grade part at 12% margin, heck, even 20% margin. You want to sell the defense part at 25% margin, 30% margin. You want to sell the space, you know, the space part with a 10 to 12% margin that's $5,000. I'll sell the space part all day long. And I think... Personally, I think what's interesting uh, is that um, venture capital is finally starting to catch on to this. Uh, And there's two things that are making that happen. Number one, we are involved in two massive wars right now. So one is Ukraine. One is is the war in Gaza with Israel. Uh, None of those wars do I think are going to end very soon. Uh, You know, maybe the Gaza war would end somewhat soon because simply put, there's not that many people in Gaza, right? Like relatively speaking, it's a 2.4 million person enclave Um, Israel's probably got 30% of the population over the border already just in sheer military ground force. Um, You know, it's not an easy situation, but maybe that war will be not so long lived, you know, maybe, maybe a year. I just, but I'm going to tell you, I don't think that they're, I I think they're either going to occupy that territory or I think they're, you know, anyway, it it doesn't matter what my opinions are. It doesn't really matter what happens. The point is, That war is going to use up a tremendous amount of defense inventory that the U.S. has to go and recreate. So um, venture capital is looking at this going, oh, my God, like it'll be years and years and years and years before the stockpile goes away. Like, we're good. We can invest in these companies. They're doing defense. And this is a very, very lucrative place. And the second thing is, is that they see the size. Right. So one one thing when you're when you're investing in companies is you have to look at the dollar increment size. If I'm selling a $5 widget, I gotta go out and find a whole lot of $5 widget customers, right? And and finding customers is maybe one of the hardest things to do in business. But if I'm a defense company and I found that the US Army needs a part that I produce for one of their tanks and they produce thousands and thousands of tanks and my part expires every six years, I have guaranteed stream of revenue just by making one sale for the rest of life. And again, venture capital investors, they see it and because they see it, know they can believe it and so again i just i reflect back on the overall concept of being in the defense industry i'll tell you you know frankly our company drinks that kool-aid we decided to join the defense industry you know back in 2017 when this came out we loved the standard we loved what it did and then we just and frankly we fell in love with the defense industry itself when the pandemic hit we got bit we got bigger i mean i think we tripled in size throughout the pandemic you know bummed out we can't get that ECR, right? Bummed out we can't get that employment tax, employment credit tax retention thing. Uh, No, I'm not. I don't need, I don't need a tax break. I tripled the size of my business because defense never stopped rolling. It just never stopped rolling. And defense will never stop rolling. There will always be conflict on earth. And if it's not earth, then Space Force will take it interplanetary. I mean, it's inevitable. You know, mankind wants to go out there and conquer. It's just, there's nothing you can do about it. It's never going to stop. It's only just getting faster and bloodier, right? So um, anywho, bottom line is, uh, you know, I think that those are really key things to consider, you know, especially if you happen to be a leader of your company, or again, if you're just like tinkering with getting into defense or getting into space, yes, there's going to be increased cost, but there's going to be increased profit. And you have to be prepared to scale what goes on in your head from a monetary perspective. Because if you're used to dealing with $5,000 widgets and now you got to go deal with every contract being over $5 million, it's going to take some adjusting.
0: That was a heck of a segue. Uh, Speaking of Space Force, um, on the homepage of the Space Force website, which, by the way, is one of the coolest websites I've ever seen. This thing's got a soundtrack. Like you 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 load up you load up that that webpage and just immediately like music starts playing while you're going through the site and it and the music makes you want to run through a wall. Like it makes you want to you're like I'm going to join the space force right now. Like it just it makes you want to do it. And so and on the site it it says are the words there's no such thing as a day w- without space operations so so uh, you 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 mentioned it before that like if 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 there's not conflict on earth and space you know space the space force will figure it out there's never a day without uh space force operations you mentioned that you know uh the de- de- defense contracting and defense is not the business you want to be in if you don't follow the rules and that space has even more rules so based on that based on the fact that you know, Space Force says there's not such thing as a day without space operations. What, or sorry, how does government regulation and policy influence the growth and development of space-related companies in the defense industry? It's
1: a great question. Um, again, space is a very interesting place. Um, number one is the government, the government does do a lot of the rule setting but that's changing, too. It used to be a government was the one making all the rules. Um, I think SpaceX helped rewrite that playbook. Um, you know, there's a there's a very famous lawsuit where SpaceX sued the government because they were not chosen for, you know, a, a space contract, multi-billions. Um, and they were right and they won. So private sector is currently rewriting how this is regulated um and again i don't i don't want to get too much into it but um i think that there is a lot that has evolved quickly in the last 20 years since spacex began and i think that you know frankly that company is rewriting what is possible i think previous to that it required an open checkbook from our government and i think that there's still kind of an open checkbook there but the difference is that there's really somebody in, in now multiple companies with Blue Origin who have the ability to, uh, you know, to, to, to help write that script, if you will. So I think at the end of the day, the the easy way to summarize and answer that question is to say, if you've got a better mousetrap and you can prove it, you are the one that can write the rules. Um, I think that OnCall has done that in their own little micro niche of the universe, We rewrote the rules on what was possible when it came to getting compliant with DFARS, NIST, and CMMC. A lot of people said it can't be done in a a day. It can't be done in two days or three days. And, you know, every case is individual. But my answer to that is, well, you're probably right if you've never seen this stuff before. But if your entire company is literally eating, sleeping, living, and breathing and dedicated to these compliance controls, last time I checked, there hasn't been a major change to them since 2016. This is what we do. This is what we live for, just like Elon Musk lives to launch rockets up in the sky. uh, He's got it figured out. We've got compliance figured out. And I think, you know, we've rewritten a few of the rules in the game as well. Um, One, how long it takes to get compliant. Two, the level of sheer documentation that we deliver in our consultations. We've never had an assessor question our methodology. It's never happened. Um, Every single client has passed audit. Every single client has not just passed audit, but they've gotten praise on how their plans are written and how their documentation stacks up. Um, And we just, you know, we don't know anyone that's got the track record that we do. And so, you know, I I think that generally speaking, um, there is a tremendous ability for those who are willing to make whatever their niche is an absolute focus and to dedicate themselves to it and and i think if you put that level of effort in you can absolutely rewrite the rules so yeah i think there's a lot of areas where the government intervenes and things like that but you know private sector is an amazing place to be in america um again it's just you know i can't help but really just smile every time i think of how lucky i am to be in this country you know running businesses and and just generally being involved in in business as usual every day here in america because i'll tell you what You know, if you're in another country, there are very few other countries that have the ability of freedom that we do. If you're in Russia, look, the Russian government dictates everything that goes on and you don't have this level of innovation. You don't have the level of freedom. Um, So I think, you know, with that being said, uh, that's just sort of another thing is, is that, you know, you've got to really choose who you're going to be. Are you going to be a widget maker? Are you going to be an innovator? Um, And, you know, I think when it comes to dealing with space, um you know the world needs innovators we need leaders we need people who are willing to push the envelope and play their role on what what is possible and you know honestly my experience is that for those people in the world who are brave and want to do that and they want to push the envelope i've never found a bottom to that checkbook you know so yeah you're going to have to get compliant and the good news is you got companies like us that can help Um, But, you know, I've also I've also seen our clients turn around and do what we've recommended, which is using compliance as a competitive selling advantage to blow away the competition, win more defense work and just excel and take their companies to new levels. So it is one of the areas of life where you've got to walk the line between innovating and not following the rules, but then understanding where the bumpers and the barriers are that you do have to follow, like information security and compliance
0: absolutely this is a great great topic and i'd love talking about it. it fires me up makes me want to go watch star wars you know what time it is now it's you know i've on on past on past podcasts i asked you if you're going to be the next ceo to go up into space and and you said no so i'm not going to ask you that again even though it would be it would be fitting for this episode so our our, our silly question for this week it's so bad. <laughs> Our silly question for this week, so just roll with it, is do satellites have favorite constellations that they like to hang out with?
1: Man, I I think if I can get the if if you can laugh at your own question then it's a great question. Um uh you know that's a, that's an interesting that's an interesting thought, you know. I think uh when you're here on earth um I think you have a certain perspective of what's out there. I don't know very many kids who don't at some point in their childhood look up at the stars and begin to dream. And I think that if I was a satellite and I was already in space, I think that I'd probably have to still dream. Um, you know, I think I think me personally, I am. a, am a dreamer. Right. And I do occasionally look up at the stars and I think about what's out there. There's increasing evidence that there's life out there. Um, how could there not be? Right. That's all. I'll, maybe that's an even better question. is How could there not be? Um, and so, you know, I think it's kind of like saying, hey, if you're halfway through a marathon, are you curious about what the finish line looks like? Um, of course you are. And and so, you know, I guess if I was a satellite, uh, the answer is it would be pretty cool to have my neighbors just a little bit closer to me uh, than, than we are on Earth. Um, you know, so And I think maybe if I was a satellite up there, just kind of hanging out, I'd probably look back at the earth and just kind of be in awe. I mean, you know, there are moments, uh, you know, that I go through, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a frequent walker, right. I love to exercise. um, And I I jog regularly. I walk regularly and I live in Florida. And I think that I get to see one of the coolest sunsets uh, and sunrises, uh, you know, on earth. And, Maybe it's different here versus someplace, you know, like um, oh, what's that island in Greece? Santorini that's very famous for their sunsets. But I don't ever think you ever stop being in awe of looking up. So I wonder if I was a satellite in the sky, if I'd ever get tired of looking down or around. Um, And I I probably would not, Um, you know. So I guess kind of like we here on Earth, when you start finally looking up, above, down, out and around, you know outside of the little bubble that we all live in uh I suppose you know along with being humbled you probably start really thinking bigger and I think that's the trap that a lot of us really get stuck in and I guess if I was a if I was a satellite floating up there it might just be a little bit easier to think a little bit bigger
0: wow wait wait way to take a horribly pointless question and turn it into something actually relevant and nice uh <laughs> Um,
1: I had my cup of coffee this morning, Roman. That's it, hey man. No, I'm bringing hey the fire. No. We
0: we've made it past Monday. It's Hump Day when we're recording this, so so we're 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 firing on the cylinders at this point. Um, and that wraps up another great episode of Mission Compliance. And this one particular was particularly fun talking about space and and where we're going next in defense we hope our discussion today has provided you with valuable insights practical strategies and inspiration to navigate the ever-evolving world of defense we'd like to extend our our thankfulness to mike for joining us once again and giving us great information about what's coming next in the defense industry thanks thanks mike it's my pleasure roman but the conversation doesn't end here we encourage you to continue exploring these topics and connect with us on our social media channels share your thoughts ask questions and engage with fellow listeners by using the hashtag mission compliance podcast if you haven't already what should they do mike like subscribe and make sure to tune in for the next episode anywhere you want to whether it be youtube or your favorite uh podcast platform uh Subscribe there, and you'll be the first to know when new episodes like this one are released, and we truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show. Your feedback helps us helps us continue to bring you thought-provoking episodes and high-quality content. Join us again on the next episode of Mission Compliance as we delve further into the dynamic world of defense, security, and industry innovation. Until then, take care, stay informed, and make compliance your mission. See you next time. Thanks, everybody.